This morning, John has asked me to um, just to speak into this theme, the theme, our Christmas theme, and on particular this idea of abide. But I don't know about you, but I find it most um, shocking, actually. It's not that God um, invites us to abide with him, but actually that he abides with us. That, is, that for me, is the most surprising message of Christmas, is that it doesn't start from our invitation or our desire to be with him, but it starts with his desire to be with us. That passage that was read from John, he, he comes and makes his dwelling, doesn't he? This way it says in, in John, John 1, he came and made his dwelling among us, tabernacled. He abides with us. The whole, uh, whole story and the narrative of Jesus um, coming to earth and walking among us, it, it's just amazing that Jesus would dwell with people like you and me. People who reflect upon our life have, have no doubt had some moments of great highs and great joy and we can go, yeah, celebrate with that. But also moments of great disaster and woe and thinking, oh my goodness, how on earth did I make that decision? And the thing is, it all, all of those things actually just stem from, uh, from, uh, from who we are and, uh, and, and God's grace to us. Actually, the moments of joy of God's grace and I think the moments where it's despair or stupidity but in the midst of our stupidity, God's grace abounds. And the beauty of what the Christmas message is that we get to, uh, we get to abide with him and he with us. And so I, I'm going to share a few thoughts that I've had from John 15. Now, John 15 is something that um, I have been uh, mulling over for um, a number of years now, in the sense that I, I, this is my go-to passage. This is a passage that I keep going back to, to remind myself of who I am and who he is and how I get to live. And therefore how we get to live as his people. So shall we read it? One of the things that Jesus is great at is using metaphors. And, and so he draws illustrations from all of life and, and things that mean something in the context and applies it uh, to, to his teaching. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. But the beautiful thing is that he, he interprets and applies it to our life. So we're going to read uh, John, uh, John 15, 1 through to verse 11. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce more fruit. You are, are already clean because of the word I, I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just before I read on further, uh, verse 3. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I, I, one of the things for, for the Gospel of John, as he writes, it seems so simple. And yet, the more that we dwell on the, the, the richness of the text, the more that we draw out into the majesty and the splendor of the one in whom John is pointing us to. And so when he says, my, uh, you, you're already clean because my word is in you, I don't know, maybe this morning, you reflect, as we come into a new decade, maybe you reflect upon the, the decade that has been and you think about the decade that has come. And maybe at some points, no, no maybe about it, actually at some points in the last decade, we will have made a right royal mess. Uh, guarantee it. Every single one of us in this room, even, even the preacher this morning, will have made right raw mess at some point in the last decade. But the thing is, well, this is the beautiful thing about the gospel, is that Jesus says, my word, my, you are already clean because my word is in you. And so 
It's not on our goodness. It's not in our triumph or our trials. It's not in our greatest successes or our greatest failures. It's actually about who he is and what he's done and what he's deposited in us. And so this morning, whatever you're wrestling with and whatever you're focusing upon in the decade to come, just understand that actually, we, if you're in Christ, and this is the key thing, if you're in Christ Jesus, you were already made clean. You're already in him. His word abides in you. That is the position from which you operate and live from. And maybe that's a word for somebody this morning. You think, how ever can God ever feel dirty and un- unclean? Let me just tell you that if you're in Christ Jesus, you've made a profession of faith in him. You are already clean. You get to live out of that in Christ. And the, this is where the abide comes into it because there's a, there's a conscious decision of the will. Anyway, let me carry on before I preach my message, before I've read the rest of the text. Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Do you you see the interplay of the text? Remain in me and I in you and you will. This is not all on us and it's not all on him. There is a mutual relationship that is beneficial to both parties which produces fruit. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that, listen to this, just listen. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be what? Complete. Some versions say full. But the, uh, the sense of fullness and completeness, that is the result of the, of the abiding in Christ Jesus. So let me just unpack some of this that makes that hopefully will make some sense. So, um, John, how long have I got? How long have I been going? Okay. Okay. No, well, that's because my the talk about four. The, the challenge was to preach my shortest sermon yet, was it? All right. Okay. So my 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 last shortest sermon was about fifty-five minutes. So I've got. Okay. Um, just let me t- right. So. What's going on? The vines were everywhere in Israel, okay? Growing of grapes, it was, they're just everywhere. And so Jesus is picking up on a very common theme. Um, in the Old Testament, the idea then that Israel was God's vineyard, the, the representation of who he is, uh, uh, and uh, outworking of his life in them to be a, uh, display the glory and the majesty and splendor of, of who he is in and through the nation of Israel. Okay. Um, so Jesus then picks up this idea of, of the vine. Remember in mind, there's probably vines all around and scattered around. It's, it's very visual. And he then says to the people, I am the true vine. So no longer is, is it simply Israel's responsibility. Jesus is now saying, actually, all that Israel was pointing towards is now found complete in 
me. I am the true vine. And off the vine, the branches come. And so the question that Jesus is beginning to ask of his disciples and of Israel, are you connected with the true vine? And if so, how do you tell? Because it's all very well, isn't it, about saying, you know, I abide in Jesus, because it all sounds very, very nice. Doesn't it? It sounds quite mystical in some way, doesn't it? Like something over there, something we can never quite grasp a hold of, this abiding in Jesus. But actually Jesus is, if anything, he's, he's absolutely practical in his teaching and application because it isn't just something up there, something to be kind of grasped a hold of. It's outworked in the reality of life. And so Jesus, um, drawing on this, and now the interesting thing about um, well, I'm allegedly the interesting thing about an apple tree or a, or a vine or any other kind of fruit-bearing plant, um, but particularly those two in terms of my research. Okay, because I'm an avid gardener. <laughs> can't, can't you tell? <laughs> um, but what I'm led to believe is that with an apple tree or a, or a vine, is the apple tree won't produce apples for three years. Is that right? And a, and a vine will produce it, but actually to get the, the strength and the best grapes, the, 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 it stopped growing, uh, the, the, the gardener will stop it growing grapes for three years. Three years seems to be a bit key, doesn't it? See, what comes first, the fruit or the growth? The thing is, is the growth. The growth enables the fruit. So growth and fruit are not the same thing. And often we evaluate fruit as the same thing as growth. It's not. Actually, what happens with the vine, if it, if it, if it bears fruit too soon, the branches will be too weak and it won't be able to bear the weight of the fruit that it bears. And so when Jesus calls his disciples, what does he do? He calls them for how long? <laughs> three, so scholars would say he spent three years with his disciples. What did he do in those three years? He was growing them. He was growing them. Did, they, they did some stuff, absolutely, but it was almost like when they came, remember that moment, he kept, they came back to him, Jesus, the demons are fleeing at our name, you know, your name, and, and, as we've done it, and, and we've healed people. And Jesus says, yeah, great. Just don't celebrate that. Just remember that your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's like, chum, how to cut the legs from underneath them. Because actually, if they, if, they, if they promoted that too soon, they wouldn't have been able to bear the weight. So actually what he does is he takes three years to invest in them and grow them and see them come to a place of fruit so that he ascends to the Father and, he com and, they, and they're commissioned. What do they go and do? Bear fruit. So the whole book of Acts and the growth of the church, what is it? It's about fruit bearing. Why? Because they've taken three years being with Jesus, having moments of, of fruitfulness that were then pruned back to then be unleashed. And that's why you and I are here today, because actually the disciples did what Jesus called them to do and asked of them and were fruit-bearing, and so we are a product of their faithfulness and fruitfulness all these years later. I think that's pretty amazing. I think when you think about that, that the long-lasting eternal fruit that Jesus spoke of sat in the room. <laughs> I think it's staggering. Yeah. And so Jesus, um, this is what Jesus, uh, the patterns of Jesus. Now, again, just in preparation for this, now you, you, you hope you're all settled in. <laughs> I, watched a, I watched a YouTube video on pruning. 
Because I've got to be honest, I know very little about pruning. But I do now. So a summer expert in America um, gave me some tips. So basically what he said is that, okay, you know, he had a tree. And he said that there's an ABC of pruning. Did you know there was an ABC of pruning? No, you didn't. That's what you were hoping to come, uh, come away with this morning, the ABC of pruning. Okay, so the first thing is that uh, the, uh, a, good, a good gardener will, will assess the tree. They'll assess the vine. They'll, they'll, they'll line it up. They'll think, oh, there's a branch that's off that way. There's a branch that's off. But what they're looking for is they're looking for some, the straight line, the trunk, the core, the stem, the, the point of life. Because if, if they chop that, game over. Isn't it? Game over. So anything that comes off the main line, is, it's up for grabs. It's up for grabs. So they've assessed the tree. Now the second thing is, that they, the, the second B is look for bad branches. So in, as they've assessed the tree, they're looking for the bad branches. And so what do they begin to do? Oh, there's a bad branch. We'll leave it right there. No, no, they get their saw, or they get whatever it is, and they start to hack it away all night. <laughs> Maybe not hack. Hack's probably the wrong term. Far too technical. But they start to cut away the bad branches. Because the bad branches contain three Ds. Death. <laughs> decay. And disease. There's far too many letters going on in my sermon today. Death, decay, and disease. That's what this, this uh, expert pruner said. So if you leave the bad branches with death, decay, and disease, what's going to happen? It's going to spread to the rest, isn't it? Affect the trunk, and the trunk then the tree's dead. So actually, when, when, when God says the Father is the gardener, and he, any branch that doesn't bear fruit, bad branch, that he's cut off, what's he doing? Preserving the rest and the life of Christ that is contained in the trunk because it's who he is and he's, he's, he's stopping the bad branches affecting the growth of the other branches. So he starts to cut away the branches. Now the third C. Uh, sorry. Uh, so there's assesses bad branches and then competing branches. Interesting, isn't it? I never thought about that. Branches that compete. And so what, he, what this, this expert gardener was saying, that he, in, the, in the competing branches, he's looking for branches that are beginning to grow up right. Beginning to, to shoot up because actually they're trying to become the life source. So he says, well, what, what do we want to do? Because there's the line. If that branch, it, and there's a stem coming off it that's competing with the life, it's going to draw the life that was never meant to... So he says, what do we do? Cut it off. Now the question I have this morning is what are the competing branches in your life? What are the things that are competing for the life of Christ that is in you that is seeking to, to draw you away from the true life source? Because actually I think the Father wants to chop it off. And so often in life we are so fearful of losing some stuff that we, that we think is good and beneficial, but the father looks at it and goes, needs to go. Why? Not because he's mean, but actually he wants life to flow in you and for us as his people to bear fruit. 
But in order to bear fruit, there has to be pruning. So in those three years of a vine that's, being, that's just been planted and ready, being ready for growth, what happens? They'll cut stuff back, like in the garden, we'll cut the branches back. Why? Because we've got the end goal in mind. Um, when I was at Bible college, uh, my first year at college was hell. I'll be honest, it was, it was awful. It was, it was the worst year of my life. Uh, just, I, I, hate, I hated study. I, all I wanted to do was play football and hang out with my mates. Um, the, the spiritual intensity of the environment just did my head in. Everybody was really intense. You always, you know, and this idea then that you, you, you end up, well, I, I ended up judging my life against somebody else's life. You know, oh, they're far better than me. They're far, they're far better preacher than me. They've got more academic qualifications than me already, and it's only first year. You know, and, and so it was just this, this melting pot. Now, on reflection, it was actually the best year of my life. Because, you know, I think God deposited some stuff in that year and pruned some things in my life that enabled me to move forward in him that wouldn't have happened had I not embraced that. And so often we want to get away from the pruning because it hurts. The thing is, the life of a disciple, there is no promise that things won't hurt. But God uses all circumstances. I believe God uses all circumstances, situations, to one prune and enable growth to come. And so if we embrace those moments, as hard as they are in that moment, we can look back and think, God did something foundational. That if he hadn't chopped that stuff off, maybe it would never have produced what he wanted to produce. And so... Um, just uh, so what, what does it mean to remain? Well, it means in Christ, okay? So this, this idea of in Christ um, over the course of, this, of the New Testament is, is so key. Like, so often the writers say, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Now, there are, I think I'll just tally it up very quickly, just as I was about to get up. Um, so my math is not always great. So if you want to correct me later on, do so in private because I'll get a bit, a bit embarrassed. But I think in, in this, the reference, there is uh, eight times where, um, where Jesus says, I, I, I in you. In me. Eight times. And then I in you, four times. Throughout, what, 11 verses. So Jesus is clearly trying to get a hold of some idea that this, this, is a, this concept is hugely important. It's not just you, us in Christ, but it's Christ in us. And so the idea then is, is, is about, um, I, I, I think it carries this sense of a mutual agreement. So I, I, I'm, I have the privilege of being married, and my wife is upstairs. Um, now, when, even, so when I'm on overseas trips, I'm still married. When I'm in the office, I'm still married. When I'm at home, I'm still married. Wherever I am, I am married. Because there's an agreement that says that I, I am married to Rachel, and Rachel is married to me. We are wed together. And so wherever I go, that is the state of which I find myself in. It doesn't, doesn't alter. And so the idea then that we are in Christ Jesus is not just a, we're not just in Christ Jesus this morning as we gather. When, the, when God's people come together, we're not just in Christ. We are in Christ because we are in him and he in us. And there's something, um, something we have to grasp a hold of that is Christ in you. 
the hope of glory. So he, he makes his dwelling in you and us together. We, his people, he dwells in us. And so therefore it comes with this sense of, uh, of responsibility because actually I, I, if, if I never talk to my wife again, I'd still be married, but would I have a relationship with her? Well, I doubt it. I think she'd be pretty upset. I think I'd be pretty upset. Because actually there's a willful decision to say, I am going to live out the agreement and the, the commitment to this relationship, and it's going to take my, respons my part, 100% my responsibility, and 100% Rachel's responsibility. There's no 50-50 in marriage. It's all in. And so in our relationship with Christ, it's, it's all in. It's like 100%. It's 100% God, and it's 100% us. And so we have to, um, we, there actually is some stuff that we have to do to abide. We have to make a conscious choice to remain in him. So how do we do that? Well, I, I think that it comes down to some foundational things. So I think we, we have to think, uh, I think we have to think about him more. I, I think he has to be the consuming, uh, consuming thoughts of our, of our hearts and minds. I think we have to reflect on him and dwell on him. Whatever is good, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, Paul writes to the Philippian church, think on these things. Now, who does that describe? Jesus. So let's dwell on him. Think of him. Because as we think on him, it will change our hearts and minds, especially as we align what we think with what God has already spoken and already written. So we can't understand him and know him, actually, if we don't get some of the foundational stuff in place, such as reading scripture or listening to scripture, whichever, whichever works for you, saturate your heart and mind with God's truth and God's word. But don't even just do it on, on your own. Why not set up a WhatsApp group or, uh, or actually get into connect groups when they get up and running in the new year and live life sharing scripture together because actually the more we encourage one another and serve one another and strengthen one another, actually the, I think it, the easier it is for us to live a life of abiding in him because we were never meant to do it on our own. Because every branch is interconnected, woven, grafted in to the vine. Um, and I've already mentioned it, I think this idea of community, I think there are, the, the, for me, those three foundational things to abide in him. So what is the Father looking for in fruit? Okay, and with this I will close, um, close up. Because it's, it sounds great, doesn't it? Fruitfulness. What does it, what does it actually mean? Any ideas? Okay. See, as you're all so quiet. I think there are three things that he's looking for when it comes to fruitfulness. That we can evaluate whether we're abiding in him or not. And it actually, it all comes down to one simple thing, but very... Um, very challenging thing is that we obey him. We want to know we're living in, in Christ. We'll obey him. Can't be in Christ and not do what he says. Now I, I have to say this, this, the, we understand this, pro, this pro, um, process. Okay, So you might have just been walking with Jesus just a few years and, and life might be very different to somebody. An, an expectation I guess would be different to somebody like me Who's maybe been walk, who's been walking with Jesus for a lot, a, a lot longer? I think there's, there would be an expectation on what my life should be reflecting, and towards to somebody who's just starting out on the journey and still growing. 
I think that's right. You might disagree with me, but I think that's, I think that's Christian maturity. And so, um, the, but the, uh, the three things I think uh, as we begin to align our lives to Christ is that the more we draw near to him, the more we'll be aware of the things that don't marry up with who he is, and the more willing we'll, be allow, we'll allow him to chop off those bits. The things that get in the way, the things that are uh, death, decay, and disease, will allow him to, 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 to get rid of. Um, but he, the, there will be this um, growing desire for relationship with him. So I think there's three, th- three things that you can remember, three words. Up, okay? So this in, uh, upward relationship with God, I think it, that will be an increasing measure. Our desire will be for him. I have to, you know, have you ever heard, um, you know, that, that, that idea that the youngest Christians are often the most enthusiastic and most passionate? And, and, and then somebody will say, oh, don't worry, we'll soon knock it out of you. <laughs> oh, what's all that about? Really? What is that all about? Like, actually, if I'm walking with Jesus, and Jesus, I want to be more passionate now than I was back then because I've got a greater understanding of what he's done for me. Because the more I walk with him, the more sinful I realize I am. And the more I need to throw myself back on his grace. And so the more joy then that comes because, wow, haven't we got an amazing Savior? But it isn't about what I've done, but because I'm made clean because his word's already in us. And that's true for you too. It's true for us. It's who we are. And so we should have this increased, passionate relationship with Jesus. Second thing is inward. I actually, inward, and that works its way out. An inward transformation. So we know that, in, that when we're born again, there's something new takes place. Like we are, we're, the old has gone and the new has come. But actually, as we abide with Jesus, walk with Jesus, obey Jesus, there will be an inward transformation. There will be. And it will begin to manifest itself in the way that we operate. So actually, your presence and countenance begins to change because of what God is doing in you. Actually, you begin maybe to be just a a kinder person than you once were. You become a little bit more self-controlled maybe than you once were. Something internal that I think God is looking for. It's It's the Galatians 5 kind of stuff. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and I've probably missed one of those now. But have a read. That's the stuff that begins to be shaped in us as we dwell with Christ. And then thirdly, um, reproduction. So there's up, there's in, and there's out. See, because an apple or a, a grape, grape seed, has what? Potential for just one grape? Or just one apple? Much fruit. Bear much fruit. So who is it that's in us? Christ. Christ Jesus by his spirit. And so what happens as we begin to talk about the gospel? And we talk about his mercy. And we talk about his kindness. And we talk about who he is. And we talk about the kingdom. And we talk about the life of Christ. What begins to happen? What's coming out of you? Life. The seeds of life. The gospel itself is, is, is life. Because it's, the gospel is Jesus. And so as we scatter and as we talk about Jesus, the more we, we grow in love, with, in love with him and love with others, that he, he said in John 13, 
by this, by this love, people will know that you're my disciples. And so that relationship with God, relationship with others, outworked in mission, begins to affect whole communities because of the way that we live. And it all stems from what? Abiding in Christ. Without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. Now, the thing is, we can. We can do lots of things. We can be busy doing lots of things. But actually, fruitful, long-term, eternal effectiveness and fruitfulness that God is looking for comes from a, a, a dwelling with him and knowing him and allowing that to be shaped in us. And so what does this look like? Well, I think this is what it, uh, Jesus is trying to get at. What, is it, what are the outworkings of this? It's not just relationship with God, relationship with others, but what's, this, what's the thing that holds all of that together? I think it's love. That's what it says. Verse 9, you read on. Love and joy. Love and joy. So what, what's, what's the Father looking for? I think he's looking for us to increase in our love capacity. I think he's looking for us to love him more and love others more. I think that's the things that he's measuring us. Not, not how many events have we put on, not how many uh, things have we ran, not how many meetings have we been at over the course of the year. Because my goodness, we love meetings. He's actually saying, how, how much, you, how much have you lo- has your love increased for other people? And then this, verse 11, we can't skip over it. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy complete. Oh, give me more joy. Jesus, give me more joy. Let joy be a mark of, my, of our life, my life, your life, our life together. May that be the mark of us as God's people. Because joy changes atmospheres and I think joy changes people. Because we all know when we've encountered somebody full of joy, don't we? Right, they light up the room. Not because they're extrovert or introvert or any other kind of vert. They're, they're just, they just love Jesus. And joy, joy is made complete. Not in the circumstances of our life. We often mix up joy with happiness. And happiness is, is often just dependent upon what happens around us. I'm not saying that the things that don't happen can't bring us joy because they can. Actually, they really can. Like the, the birth of our, my kids, that was great joyous moment. It was a happening. Yeah, it brought joy. And sometimes that's tested. <laughs> but it's not dependent upon what happens, but it's, a, it's actually birthed out of who Jesus is in us and our security in him and our life in him. Because what? We're attached to the vine. We're attached to Jesus. And the promise of Jesus is that your joy will be complete. So this Christmas, as you go about whatever it is that you're going to do, may you know the peace and the presence and the joy of the Lord, Um, not just deep in your heart so that nobody else can see, but deep inside the core of who you are because you've met with him afresh this year. And may it change the environments in which you find yourself in whether it's with family who are difficult or family who are a joy to be around, whether it's friends that you're connected with, whether it's neighbors, and maybe even if that's, you may, hopefully you don't find yourself on your own this Christmas, but if you do, that may you find a sense of joy in knowing him this year, who is your life and your savior. In Jesus' name, amen.